second. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box. Taylor Bischoff. From Mike Gramelia. Extra pass to Nuga, three for Mike, no good. Rebound Donovan Williams. Williams over to McCabe in the left corner for three. That's no good. Williams again able to save it. Donovan Williams will slow it down. He'll step back, he'll shoot his own three. He missed it. McCabe tips the rebound, and a Rob then knocks it out of bounds. And rebel out. On ESPN Las Vegas. Mike Gramelia is in today for Ed. Ed at the NFL owners meeting in Dallas. We will talk to Ed tomorrow. He'll be back in studio on Monday. Uh, big tease here. Big sports radio tease. Mike Gramala, if you're unaware, doesn't like to eat many different kinds of foods. Uh, we are going to have him try something he's never had I before. It. I knew it. Uh, I could tell. I could tell that you had something planned. I told you last night that we were going to make you eat something. Yeah. Did you? Yes. Okay. There well, may be maybe two, that's, maybe that's may be two why things that yeah. you try today, depending on whether or not <sighs> I can swing a delivery. Yeah. So what we're going to have here in about 10 minutes, Mike Gramala try for that, the first time in his life. Time. That's not enough time to, for me to prepare for this. <laughs> 10 minutes? A McGriddle. You should be excited. <laughs> I've heard of it. What is it? You'll find out in 10 minutes. Feel my hands. My palms are so I mean, sweaty right oh now. Oh, my God. Feel <laughs> my hand. Touch my hand, Jared. Oh, Touch my God. hand. That's a oh my weird. God! Is he? <laughs> the McGriddle. I'm, I'm so clammy. What's in it? You'll find out. <sighs> Don't worry. End of the segment. End of the segment, Mike. <sighs> okay. See if you can power through. Jared got some Lysol wipes to wipe his hands off because okay. apparently you're gross and sweaty over there. <laughs> Thank you. The first McGriddle. bite. Okay. You know what? If you know what? If it's from McDonald's, it's probably, it's probably you know a McDonald's product. You know, it's going to taste like I, everything I else they have. Literal definition. It is definitely a McDonald's product. But, but what I mean by that is it's not going to stray too far out of the mainstream. You know, it's like what you would get at McDonald's. It's, well, it's, it's Cinnabons now. Though, their, right? their goal is to have as, as wide of a berth as possible. So it's not going to it's going to be close enough to the middle of the road that I can eat it. We'll find out, Mike. We'll find out. You okay. want to play the imaging again? No, nah, no, nah, just read it. All right. Did UNLV get a moral loss last night? We talk a lot about moral victories. UNLV. They get a moral loss. They're playing Omaha, who uh, 339 and Ken Palm entering that game, 1-9. and nine. That only win on the season for Omaha was over an NAIA school called Hastings. Um, and Omaha led UNLV by three at half. Omaha led UNLV with nine minutes to play. Then UNLV, I mean, they dominated the game in the last eight minutes, but for... 31 minutes, Omaha was leading UNLV, which is not ideal because it's probably the worst team on the schedule for UNLV the entire year. I I think it was a, a win. Like I, I kind of anticipated some people might feel that way, and that's how I, I've sort of framed my, my game story uh, in the sun around that, where it's like this is a team that, a couple of weeks ago was in trouble. Like they lost five games in a row. They looked bad in pretty much all of them. Uh, and you were seriously wondering like, what, what happened? Like, what is this the end? Like, what is this already going off the rails? So to come off of that, win your two games at Mandalay Bay, not a, you're not playing good opponents. This is the worst team they'll play all year. And then to be down by three to Omaha, you were, that would have been a disaster to lose that game. Un, unmitigated disaster, maybe the worst loss in program history. 
So just to win that is was enough. Like just get that win, to get it out of the way. Themselves out of the hole they put themselves. In. Yes, like <laughs> considering the context around that game, just win it. You you don't have to win it by thirty for me, anyways. Play bad, play sloppy, do whatever you got to do. Pull it out at the end, and it seems like to me, anyways, reading what. Kevin Kruger and the players said in the post game, it seemed like they were sort of on the same boat where it's like, Hey, we won. We're happy. We're moving on. They ended up winning by 13 and like Ken Palm had him projected to win by 18. I think the spread was 19 and a half. So they actually got fairly close to the projected margin, despite again, being down with under nine minutes to play. The main reason I'm not worried about what happened last night is three-point variance. So Omaha won the first half by three. If you look at that game in two different halves, Omaha won the first half by three. UNLV won the second half by 16. First half, Omaha had eight of 16 from three. They had 50% of their threes in the first half. Meanwhile, UNLV hit 19% of its first half threes. That is unbelievable disparity between two teams that are right around the national app. Like Omaha is not a good shooting team. They're an average three-point shooting team. But if you look at the first half, UNLV made and attempted more free throws. They made and attempted more layups. Omaha had eight more turnovers than UNLV. UNLV, um, they had a better offensive rebounding rate and a better defensive rebounding rate. Like, despite, like, UNLV was sleepwalking. Like, they were not playing well. But despite not playing well, they were better than Omaha. The only reason Omaha had a lead is because they were knocking down seemingly every three, and UNLV couldn't hit anything. In the second half, UNLV made four of 10 threes, Omaha made four of 13, and UNLV won that half by 16. Once the three-pointers normalized, like once it was, oh, one team's not ridiculously hot and one team's not ridiculously cold, you know, we dominated, right? They won a half by 16 when they were projected to win by 18 for an entire game. So, yeah, they were sleepwalking in that game. No, they did not play well, I don't think, for the entirety of that game. But I don't walk away too worried about that because if Omaha hits three less threes, you know, he wins a game by 20-plus points, and it's we're not even worried about it. Yeah, that was a – it was – Jared played the the clip in the intro where it's uh, I think Hamilton missed a three offensive rebound, Nuga missed a three offensive rebound, McCabe missed a three offensive rebound, possession, and that rebound went out of bounds to UNLV, and they subbed, and I was like, oh, here we go, sub in Webster, sub in uh, Baker, let's have those guys miss a couple. Like I wanted everyone, <laughs> I said, let's go down the line, have everyone on the roster miss a three on this one possession. Um, but yeah, once they once they started making and. You know, and Omaha came back to earth. It was the game was not much of a problem. So I'm with you on that. Do you think the streak could actually be in jeopardy in a game this year? No. Like they had a stretch where they made one of 15 against Omaha in the first half. No, but they shoot so many. That's and that's that's the thing. Like this is a bad three point shooting team. And I think they they're bad enough that they could have the streak in, but because they still shoot a bunch, like it's not like the Marvin Menzies era where they would shoot exactly like 15 a game. And it'd be like, Oh boy, if they don't hit one of the early ones, this would get ugly. Like they shoot enough that they're not going to go. Oh, of 29. But I would say the one scenario that I could potentially see it in. And we, we saw a little bit of this last night was second half. You know, we came out with, they, they turned down some open threes to simply just drive into the paint. Like the second half message was very much, Drive to the rim, guys. Like, just go get to the rim. Stop taking the threes, even though they're mostly open. I, I think you could see a scenario in a Mountain West game where they may, they might start the first half like 0 of 11 from three-point range, something along those lines, and Kruger says, listen, just get to the rim. And they get to the rim, and it's not as big of a deal, and they don't make one. Even so, I, I think Kruger would have to come in at halftime out of his mind and, and just say, like, 
next guy to shoot a three out of the game benched no threes only dunks and layups (laughs) like it it would have to be that drastic because they they shoot a lot of threes they play really small like everyone on the roster shoots threes like this is not the year for the anti-streak people are would you say you're you're anti-streak no I love the streak okay it's one of the most fun things about UNLV basketball you don't want to see it come to an end though and now they have a counter and the smoke machines that go up when UNLV makes the first three of the game it's a lot of fun um I I would say at some point I do want to see the streak end um, because that would be a very fun thing to experience. But I hope it's when UNLV has an actual crowd again and we can experience 8,000 plus people. That is true. Yeah. The, 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 to see it happen around you. Yes. Because here's the thing. It was a couple of years ago. Vanderbilt had a very similar streak. They'd made a three in so many straight games and it was apparently That's a so big good. deal at Vanderbilt. Yeah. And it was on the SEC network against Tennessee and the SEC network is like a 20 point game. The yeah, SEC network this. went to a box like in the corner to just show fan reactions <laughs> for the last like three <laughs> minutes of that game. And it's one of like the greatest television experiences you can have in a 20 point loss for a basketball team because the fan base was just yelling for them to shoot threes and groaning every time they miss. So I wanted to end at some point, but with more than six people in the building. And I don't, I, I inside uh, my job, I'm, I have standing orders that if the streak ever ends, that's drop, that's... drop, drop all other assignments for that <laughs> night, ignore the game. Like it's, it's not a regular game story. Like it's the streak. Like that's the story for the night. So like, I don't want it to happen on my watch. Just <laughs> keep it going. Yeah. Keep it going until someone else has to drop everything and write the streak. So on the three-point shooting, I listen, I don't think there's much to this, but we're going to get a big enough sample size that I'll start thinking there is. UNLV three-point shooting this year. At Man at Mandalay Bay, two games, 43.1%. At T-Mobile Arena, two games, 38.2%. At Thomas and Mack this year, 27.2%. Like they go from being would be one of the best shooting teams in the country at Mandalay Bay and uh, T-Mobile Arena to like the worst three-point shooting team in the country at Thomas and Mac. Do you think there's anything to that? Uh, it's funny. I was actually thinking, you know, they when we cover practice, usually the practice before game day, like if they're playing on Wednesday, their Tuesday practice is usually at the venue where they're playing. Like they don't they'll practice most of the time at Mendenhall Center. And then the day before the game, they'll practice at the Thomas and Mack Center or Mandalay Bay or wherever they're playing to get a, I assume, to get a feel for it and to um, just sort of get the players comfortable with it. But they didn't do that this week. They practiced at the Mendenhall Center before. And I meant to ask uh, Kevin Kruger, like, why why aren't you at the Thomas and Mack today? But then I, in my head, I was like, it's probably rodeo related, something like that. Still smelled. Yeah. We don't, we just don't want to be in there for a couple of weeks. Um, so maybe, maybe we got that. all the doors open. Yeah. We got fans. Yeah. So maybe, Still not good. maybe that, maybe this, they haven't been, they haven't played in Thomas and Mack for three weeks and then they didn't practice there before the game. So maybe some of that is wrapped up in it, but even then I don't think so. It's probably just noise. Weirdness is I, my expectation is that it's noise, but it is. Funny to me, they've played four games in Vegas that are not at Thomas and Mac, and they've shot it again really well, thirty-eight and forty-three percent. You'd you'd be one of the best teams in the country at three-point shooting, and then they're one of the worst. I mean, we're talking ten to fifteen percentage points worse when they're at Thomas and Mac. All right, Mike, you ready? I'm ready. Wait, no, for the next topic or for this? Uh, no. uh, 
Mike Gravala. Can, can we do it coming back for with commercial? With his wonderful taste buds. Has never had a McGriddle in his life. Can, can you tell me what's in it? Um, yeah. It's a sandwich. I got you a sausage McGriddle. So it, there's only sausage, right? I didn't subject you to McDonald's eggs oh, or cheese. Uh, and it's a McGriddle. And the fun, thing about, the fun thing about a McGriddle is that it's a pancake-type bread is the bread of this breakfast sandwich, but there is syrup injected into the bread. Uh, I don't like syrup. It's delicious. It is one of my favorite things. Like, I absolutely love McGriddles. I think it's one of the best food inventions of my life. No, oh, it is. It's like pan. It's a pancake yep. sausage sandwich. Yep. It's is, delicious. So is syrup going to come out of this when I bite into I it? I mean, it's not like, like, a, stuff, uh, like a stuffed it's not crust like a thing. Donut. It just, it's, it's not, not going to okay. blow up in your mouth. Okay. Like, but there will be a syrupy flavor. <laughs> Very exciting. Uh-oh. Oh, he's going in. I don't like the syrup. <laughs> I don't like that I can taste it. It's too sweet. Do you like sausage? I do. But I don't like, especially with breakfast, I don't like the sweet. I don't like, I don't want sugar. I don't want syrup. I don't want anything you sweet had a with cookie it. cookie yesterday. You did have chocolate chip cookies for breakfast on Tuesday. No, but that's a, that's its own thing. I don't want, like, I'm talking like waffles, pancakes. Do you eat waffles bacon. and pancakes? Yeah. And just plain? Scrambled eggs. Yeah, I don't want sugar. Like, for some reason, sugar doesn't mix with that for me. So I don't even like putting, when people put fruit on it and stuff like that, or fruit on the side, it just doesn't go together. You want to take another bite, or or do you, you retiring after one bite uh, of the I sausage think McGriddle? I think I've, I'm good with it. Okay. But that was a real bite. It wasn't like it a... It was. Yeah, yeah, it was. We it were impressed. Like how you explained your chicken wing bites where you just nibbled at the skin of a chicken wing. Yeah, that was much scarier. That was, that was scarier <laughs> because I could see the sauce and everything. <laughs> Stay tuned. Mike Ramallah might be trying a new kind of food later in the show. Coming up next, Urban Meyer got fired at midnight. See Urban come up to me out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> He comes up to me and he says, hey, dip, another word, uh, make your effing kicks. And then proceeds to kick me right in the leg, right in the hamstring. Um, also, on the, on the leg, on the hip, that kept me out for 12 games last year. And I couldn't believe it happened. I looked up at him. I said, don't you ever kick me again. How fit do you feel Coach Urban Meyer is to lead the Jaguars organization? For me, I would say completely unfit. And that is my observation from what I saw day in and day out for a lot of months this year. The way that he treats the guys in the locker room, this, this pompous nature that he has that he can get away with anything. You know, I, I see myself as a Jaguar, and I, 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 I certainly don't see him that way. That was Josh Lambeau, the former kicker of the Jacksonville Jags, talking about a time in which Urban Meyer walked up to him during stretching during the preseason and kicked him. (laughs) Maybe it was just, maybe it was Urban Meyer just walking by and just nudging him with his foot to get his attention. Maybe it was that. I mean, Josh Lambeau said, Oh wait, (laughs) it wasn't a love tap. What did he, what would he register it on a five out of 10 on the kicking hardness scale (laughs) on a one out of 10? He said it would be a five. Yeah. That's a that's a professional kicker's scale, so his his ten is way. That's a that's a hard kick. So a five, I wouldn't. 
I wouldn't it's like if we were going to go around the room and say like, hey, would you let me kick you at a five out of ten just to see what it's like? I would say no. I don't want to get kicked five out of ten. That's hard. He kicked. What is he doing? His kicker. Like, if you want the guy to make field goals, probably don't kick him in the leg. Kicked him in the leg. It's it's on so many levels. He kicked the <laughs> kicker. He also struck him in the leg, which is what you need him to. It's I don't. Uh, yeah. So it it this job uh, wasn't for Urban Meyer. So it wasn't for him. He got fired last night. Uh, it happened about twelve thirty a.m. Eastern time, which is the Jags are on Eastern time. So Shad Khan made that decision very late last night to fire Urban Meyer, which, as a morning show, I appreciate, right? But it is very much a hey, it's the middle of the night. Let's fire this guy. I don't think he made the decision that late. I think he made the decision at a normal time and they decided to announce it that late <laughs> after they were hoping that all of their local media was asleep, <laughs> which is a class move. It's so great. So Urban Myers fired during his brief tenure. Jacksonville first off has won just two games this year, but started off. He hired Chris Doyle as a strength and conditioning coach who had just resigned from Iowa due to allegations of racism. Uh, we had a recent report about him calling his own assistant coaches losers. He kicked his kicker while he was stretching. Uh, he groped a woman at a bar that was not his, his wife, and that was in season after they had played on Thursday night in Cincinnati and after the rest of the team had flown back to Jacksonville, Urban Meyer stayed back to find love outside of marriage. He was fined for violating practice rules on July 1st for excessive contact during some June practices. He signed a 34-year-old Tim Tebow because he thought that could be the answer at tight end for him in the preseason. And it's not like they've won very much. So the Urban Meyer tenure, like that's about that's as, one year. That's all. That was all in less than right. one year. That's as bad as it could possibly be. Like when Urban Meyer got hired. I think the majority of people looked around and said, this is probably not going to be. Yeah. Like, this is this is going to be a failure. Because, I mean, a lot of the conversation was, is Urban Meyer going to coach a year two? Because we saw at Ohio State, like, the one time he lost more than, what, two games in a season, he had health issues and had to retire. So a lot of people were like, is Urban Meyer going to be the coach of the Jags in year two? This somehow went worse than anyone who was against Urban Meyer thought it could. It's unbelievable how bad this year was for Urban Meyer. He also somewhere along the like as a part like he's a, he's one of those guys you don't want to be around. Like if you're a player, an assistant coach, like obviously he rubs everyone the wrong way. He's just not a he's not a uh, a person that you want to be with or follow or listen to. Um, but somewhere along the way, he stopped coaching. <laughs> Like when he was coming up at like Bowling Green in Utah, like it was his scheme that was getting him all these wit that was making him such a success. Like he wasn't, he didn't have this huge talent disparity in his favor at Bowling Green or at Utah. Like, yeah, he had Alex Smith, who was a good player, but at somewhere along the line of Florida and Ohio state, he just, he stopped coaching and it was just, he just became all about, I'm just going to out recruit you. And then he gets to the NFL and like, he's, it didn't seem like he was coaching the team at all. <laughs> well, you know, you give James, Rob James Robinson like three carries a game for the last couple of weeks, even though, and that's, that's maybe the other fun part is I don't believe Urban Meyer said anything like derogatory towards Trevor Lawrence this year. 
I think that's like the one person that sort of escaped significant criticism from Urban Meyer. And Trevor Lawrence came out and said, we've got to give James Robinson the ball more. We need that guy on the field. And then he turned around and had like five carries in the very next game. Like even the, the franchise face of the quarterback or could be franchise face of the quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, like even him pleading for more James Robinson, couldn't get more James Robinson on the field. You should add that to your list of Urban Meyer's uh, follies this year is undercut by his, in public, openly by his yeah. face of the franchise, number one QB, who is a rookie, and you know, usually don't hear rookies <laughs> stepping out of line like that, but just coming in and completely undercut your coach tells you what they, they think they thought of Urban Meyer. I don't even think Justin Fields undercut Matt Nagy at any point this year, and that guy's very clearly not going to be back next year. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... An unbelievable disaster that, again, a lot of people expected Urban Meyer to fail. I don't think many people expected it to fail this quickly or this spectacularly, and it has, and now he's gone. And in all honesty, it's kind of amazing that Sean Khan stuck with Urban Meyer this long. I think we've got a little bit of Sean, uh, Shad Khan and his ego and his, well, I couldn't have made that bad of a hire that played in here because Urban Meyer did a lot of things that were fireable before this whole Josh Lambeau story about kicking the kicker during pregame stretching. Well, Urban Meyer was hard to get. Like, that's what it, I think it was for Shad Khan. You probably had to coax him and cajole him and really woo him and court him for a long time to get him to accept that job. So then it's hard for Shad Khan to just turn around after all putting in all that work and we finally got our guy. It's Urban Meyer. He's a, the biggest name out there. And then to just fire him after... You know, a cu- after only three or four missteps, huge public embarrassments, <laughs> only three or four. Now let's give him a few more chances. But then after his ninth or tenth humiliating public embarrassment, then you finally have to cut the cord and admit that you made the wrong move. Feels similar to John Gruden and Mark Davis. Like that the Raiders were better on the field, but that was the big get for Mark Davis. He was chasing John Gruden for years. And. When Mark Davis was given all the emails that John Gruden sent, he let him coach against the Bears. He did not fire him, let him coach against the Bears, and still did not fire him afterwards. John Gruden resigned. Like that, It's very similar in terms of owners that made a big hire or what they thought was a big hire that didn't work out for him, and they were reluctant to let go, reluctant to see the end of that relationship despite it being an obvious time to end the relationship. Yeah, a lot of similarities there, except I would say John Gruden clearly loves and enjoys coaching. Yes. And the X's and O's, and I'm going to teach you how to play football. We're going to do it. And I don't think Urban Meyer cares about – I don't think he cares for that at all. I don't think he wants to be a coach. (laughs) He's just done it for so long. I think that's that's his least favorite aspect of the job is actually coaching the players. (laughs) All right, coming up next, what do you want, Jared? Oh, I was just going to say is the first question we're going to ask Jeff Erickson – are, are any Jags players now instantly startable? James <laughs> they, Robinson. They no longer have Urban Meyer holding them back. Got to get more than five carries. <laughs> Jeff Erickson's going to join the show next from Roto-Wire. If you have fantasy football questions, you can text them in now to 69187. Make sure you preface your message with ESPN. So just type ESPN, whatever your fantasy football question is, send it to 69187. Jeff Erickson of Rotowire will be by to. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have some form of drama. I've learned that even just the NFL is just more drama in general than college, no matter where you're at. But you're right. I mean, there's been a lot. And uh, yeah, to your point, I do think that has to change. And, you know, that's something that we need to work on for sure. So you can't always be in the headlines. You just got to go play football. And that's where. We're trying to get, and I, I have no doubt we'll get there. 
Joining us now from RotoWire is Jeff Erickson. And Jeff, before we get to fantasy football questions, you, you've got news with RotoWire. What are you guys doing now? So, okay, yeah, we uh, did a deal with the folks at gambling.com. Um, they uh, bought us, so uh, we are going to be uh, still doing our thing. It's still fantasy sports all the time, but now we're affiliated with uh, gambling.com, and it should be fun uh, going forward. Uh, looking for the next chapter in our life. So it's, it's a pretty exciting time for us. All right. Well, if you have fantasy football questions, you can text them in right now to 69187 is the text line. Make sure you put the letters ESPN before your message and then send it to 69187. Uh, I have a question for you. I'm sitting in. Mike Ramal is our co-host today. We are in a fantasy football league together. We finished the regular season tied at 7-7. Seven and seven. I'm in the playoffs. He's not. Which tiebreaker do you think is better? Total points scored or head-to-head in the regular season? Total points scored. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of total points. Uh, I just think it's a better measure of that as opposed to who was on by when you played each other, who, who got hurt when you played each other. That's just the way I am on that. But uh, I, I understand other people feel otherwise, uh, and I've played in both formats. To be clear, Mike would not be in the playoffs under either tiebreaker, <laughs> but he is a big fan of head-to-head tiebreaker. I, I told you, I'm not in it for self-serving reasons. I just believe in head-to-head. It's a head-to-head league. We play head-to-head every week. That's the first tiebreaker okay. in every real-life league. That should be the, the first tiebreaker in our league. Fantasy football, though. It's fun. All right. Uh, first question for you, fantasy-related. Uh, do all of the Jaguars' offensive players get a massive boost in your rankings now? I wouldn't say massive yet. <laughs> um, I mean, the fact is, as, as dysfunctional as Urban Meyer made everything there, I mean, he wasn't actually, like, running out there and making running the plays. I understand he might have had some agendas and kept, like, James Robinson off the field some and then denied it was him and all that, but... Hey, Trevor Lawrence still hasn't developed. I mean, you know, is he going to magically develop a lot more of these last four weeks? Probably not. I think it's really good for his long-term future. It at least depends on who they bring in next, but it is probably a massive weight off their shoulders. I just don't think we'll see it right away. Uh, 69187 is the text line. First one up, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo or Kirk Cousins? I've got him back-to-back in my rankings. I've got Garoppolo at 12 over uh, Cousins at 13. Uh, I really like the home matchup against Atlanta this week. Uh, Similar question also with Kirk Cousins, but this time Kirk Cousins or Taysom Hill? I go Taysom Hill. I have Taysom Hill in my top 10. I don't think he's a good real-life quarterback, but he's made six starts now, and in all six starts he scored two touchdowns. He's been over 20 fantasy points. Uh, Even the the disaster game against New Orleans, he had all those rushing yards at the late touchdown pass. Uh, the fact is, he, he produces for us in fantasy every single week. How worried are you that his matchup with the Bucks is actually going to make him throw the ball to get those yards and touchdowns? Well, I think you don't run between the tackles against the Bucks, but you do run outside a little bit more. I mean, so many, so many of his runs are on the outside. A lot of them are scrambles. Some of our design, but I, I think he still has a, a rushing floor against them. And, you know, you can still attack their corners a little bit there. You, you do have to worry about their pass rush is the problem. Uh, what do you expect out of Lamar Jackson this week? I don't expect him to play. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll wait to be proven wrong. He hasn't practiced yet. Uh, I, I'm concerned that you know that the way he was he was moving around or wasn't moving around as the case may be. I, I don't think he's going to play. I know there's some optimism there. They call him day to day. We'll wait to. But I'm ranking him accordingly. Like I, I have Huntley ranked and not Jackson this week. I have Huntley around 17 or so. You know, and I'll, I'll switch it, but. 
even if he plays, he's not going to be the same guy. He's probably not going to have the same ability to run. And so I think he's probably a mid-tier quarterback this week if he does play. I know it was Rashad Bateman that finally had a big game. Uh, Baltimore wide receivers, do they get a boost at all if Huntley's in there instead of Lamar Jackson? Uh, I, it was interesting to see Bateman get get unle- unleashed last week. And some of that was because they were in frantic catch-up mode. Some of it was because Sammy Watkins got got hurt. Getting him out of there is probably probably pretty good. Uh, so I, I think that was part of it. Uh, I think the game flow this week against the Packers might be similar. I think they might have to be playing catch-up here. So I think it is a good lead for Bateman. Uh, another question from our text line. Again, it's 69187. Uh, preface your message with ESP, and if you have one for Jeff Erickson of RotoWire, uh, we're looking at the Dolphins' backfield where they all have uh, are on the COVID list. This one is: Do you think Malcolm Brown's starting for Miami? Possible. He got designated to return to practice today because he's remember he's on the IR, uh, so we won't even get like a questionable or you know or doubtful or any you know, sort of listing until they officially activate him from the IR. That might not happen until Saturday, so we'll see. But. I think he's got a pretty good chance of that of coming uh, coming back and being the lead back. I think uh, Duke Johnson's truthers out there, and they are they are out there, um, might actually be validated a little bit. I think he'll be involved in the passing game some too. Um, how good do you think Rashad Penny actually is the rest of the season? I'll just stay healthy for a little while. I don't think it's a great matchup this week at at the Rams, but then he gets two home matchups in Week 16 and 17 against the Bears and the Lions. I like that. Like that quite a bit, uh, so I think he is probably a top twenty back the rest of the way. Uh, with Baker Mayfield out, does that make Nick Chubb better or worse? Um, I think it is neutral at, at worst, maybe slightly better. I think, and I think this is it's a mixed. It's, you don't wish anybody had COVID, but at the same time, Baker Mayfield has dealing with three different injuries, and I think it's clearly affected his play. Not that it was he's. Personally, not be setting a high standard to begin with. Uh, I think Case Keenum is a lateral move, and I think they're better off when that's the case. Go with the healthy guy. This is, the Browns are better off with Keenum starting this week. Jeff Erickson from RotoWire with us. If you've got questions, text them in to 69187. Preface your message with ESPN. Uh, drop Antonio Brown or hold him in a league that runs through 18 weeks. Uh, it depends on how badly you need that roster spot, but I, if you've held on to him this long, might as well find out to see what happens when he comes off suspension. Uh, I mean, he was so dynamic when he was healthy and playing out there that it's hard to find a guy in the waiver wire that's going to be it's capable of having a higher ceiling. So I'd probably just hold on to him. 69187, the text line. Need one running back. Miles Sanders, Dante Foreman, or Damian Harris? Right now, I would say, I'm looking at my rankings because I think it's close between Sanders and Harris. I think I'd go Sanders this week. Uh, you got to watch the practice reports on this one here. because, And keep in mind that the Pats play on Saturday night. Harris is dealing with an injury. I uh, left that Buffalo game on the Monday night game uh, with a hamstring injury. It was limited on Tuesday. Uh, I think this you're going to want to take this all the way until Friday to make that decision. But right now I go Sanders over Harris. How high do you have Patrick Mahomes in your rankings, given that he's not playing the Raiders this week? <laughs> I've got him at seven, actually, which is pretty low. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I might... Uh, I tr- I just adjust that slightly, but you know the Chiefs' right, uh, winning streak lately—it's been guided by their defense, not their offense. Uh, absent the Raider games, as you alluded to, uh, even that last week—I mean, he had plus field position the entire game. It wasn't like he and Kelsey and, and Hill were lighting it up. It was more a case where they were running the ball too well, and they were in, in 
spot situations the whole time. Against the Chargers, it might be a little different. I, he had a tough game against them last time out. 69187, the text line. Robbie Anderson or Brandon Cooks? I go Brandon Cooks. Uh, 100 yards last week. Should have had a touchdown and got turned over by a penalty. So, uh, you know, I, I, and I, we'll see if the Jaguars have that dead cat bounce after uh, firing Urban Meyer, but I actually think that Houston's going to win this game. Uh, Russell Gage or Amon Ross St. Brown? Uh, close call. Uh, I'm probably going to go. I'm going to go Gage, but it, it's the prejudice. It's pretty close. I, I haven't within five spots in my rankings. Uh, Jeff Erickson with us from RotoWire. On the Raiders, Hunter Renfro is, he's what, a, a top what wide receiver in fantasy football right now? Uh, I, I got him at 12 this week, and you can even make a case for him being in the top 10. I mean, just the volume is there every week. And it's so funny, Eric, at the beginning of the season, I'm like, oh, do I put him over Ruggs and Edwards? I don't know if I can do that. Now it's like, what was I thinking? <laughs> uh, do you think Darren Waller might be done for the year? Given the, the trajectory of the Raiders' season, possibly, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the fact is, if they lose one more game, they're pretty much out of the, the race. There's so many good teams in the AFC. Uh, but it's possible they just have them heal up. Uh, six nine one eight seven. One more for you, Jeff. Robbie Anderson, Russell Gage, or Gabriel Davis? Gabriel Davis. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is out, so uh, I, I like his setup here. Uh, check the weather, obviously. I mean, Buffalo home game. You have to check the weather now that time of year, but uh, I think I like Davis. All right, we're back. Hurts or Rogers? <laughs> um, let's go. Hurts or Rogers? That's right. It's Jared time. Yes. Uh, let's go with. <laughs> let's go with Rogers. Oh, uh, why not? Uh, keep just watch the reports on his toe. But he said he's going to play. I believe him. And he's been playing great despite this toe injury. So just roll with him. Uh, Jared, is this a real question from you? The Jags or the Raiders defense? No, no, I was genuinely, oh. <laughs> I was looking at like defenses. I have the Patriots defense. I just oh. was like trying to, I try to ask about streaming defense. Wait, would you play the Raiders this week against Baker less Browns? Think about it. Um, the thing is, sometimes they get that pass rush rolling and that they, they can go that way, but they're a better defense in real life than they've been in previous years. They're still not the greatest fantasy defense. So, once they start racking up some more turnovers, but I think I'd probably not. I'd probably steer clear of them this week, even well, against the Browns. Well, like he you is, said, Keenum's not much of a downgrade, if any, over Baker. Over Baker, I'd rather if I'm if I'm starting that Raiders defense, I'd rather have a gimpy Baker Mayfield out there trying to gut it out. Well, he is Jeff Erickson from RotoWire, is always answering your fantasy football questions. Jeff, we appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Take care, guys. Good luck. So there's Jeff Erickson from RotoWire to answer your fantasy football questions and to make sure Mike Ramallah knows that he has the <laughs> wrong tiebreaker <laughs> for fantasy football. We decide what do we want to take this on the air? Do we want to take this argument on the air that we have every year? <laughs> Four teams tied for the last two playoff spots. It's got to be total points. You can't do head to head among four teams. Head-to-head decides literally everything in our league. The champion is going to be crowned he- by head-to-head score. Yes. And, the, we, and all those factors are going to play in. And you could, you know. Yes. This is a tiebreaker, though. This is not a deciding who wins a particular matchup. But in real, like, that's always the first tiebreaker in real life is head-to-head. I don't see why it would be any different for fantasy. But like, Actually, if I finish with the same record as someone and I beat them in the regular season, 
That means you, you were just be, worse against everybody else play- in the league. Yeah, but I'm competing with that person for a playoff spot. Like, why would that person get the nod over me because they did better against some other random opponent? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Can't play defense in fantasy. If it was a cumulative league, like a roto scoring league, where the champ, where we don't have a playoffs or week to week matchups, and just whoever has the most total points at the end is the champion, I'd say sure, make that the the tiebreaker. But if we're playing, if the playoffs are determined by head to head records throughout the year, and then the playoff bracket is all head matchups, I don't know why we're throw, why we're saying oh head to head is no way to decide anything. That can't be a tiebreaker. You'd still be out. I, it's not. I'm not arguing it for it's me. It's about the principle. It is. It could work against me next year. I'm just saying. It's about the principle. Thank yeah, you, Jared. You got to make the playoffs for it to work. I, against I you. will say. I just won a playoff round, 300 to 300 on total points. So I, I'm with you, Tyler. <laughs> and next year, I might be with him, depending on how things work out. All right. Coming up next, Marcus Arroyo signed 10 players yesterday. We went through a very lengthy. Uh, period of investigation and discussions. The one thing I can say with 100% assurance is that it didn't interfere uh, with the work that our investigator did. We were able to access all the people that she wanted to access. At 8.30, Steve Sisolak is going to join the show as Las Vegas has officially been awarded the Super Bowl. Also, we're going to have Disney on Ice tickets to give away later on and Golden Knights tickets to take on the Kings on December 23rd. And we've got a pair of tickets for you to attend that game. So stay tuned for all of that. But now UNLV early signing day for Marcus Arroyo yesterday signed 10 players. Class is still ranked seventh in the Mountain West right now by 24-7 sports. They've only signed 10 players. There's going to be another signing period in February. That's surely to change depending on how good the rest of their recruits they get in. Uh do you have any big takeaways from the first 10 kids they signed? Anything stand out to you? I would say the the quarterback is the one that, you know, obviously is the most important position and they're bringing in a highly rated quarterback. I believe it's the highest rated QB they've recruited and gotten, a, they've gotten in the program since they started tracking recruiting rankings. And this Just is a team ahead that of Armani Rogers. Yeah. Just ahead of them. And this is a team that has a rotating cast of quarterbacks. So that's the the big one. He is an early enrollee guy. So he's going to be here in January in a couple of weeks and he'll be ready for spring practice and he'll have a chance at that, at the starting job, I would assume. So that's probably the biggest thing. Do you know how to pronounce his last name? I have spoken to him, but I don't remember. I asked him, but I've forgotten <laughs> since then because it was several months ago. Jaden Maeva. Maeva. All right. So you think he's actually got a shot to win the job? Like, yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't he? Like, I know that they have the returning freshman of the year at quarterback, which so it's kind of weird to say that. Like, it's wide open, but it's not like Cameron Friel came in and lit the world on fire. He was good and he was steady and he did some good things, but I don't say, I don't, he's not walking in. The next year being handed the starting job, Doug Brumfield looked good, but he played, you know, for five minutes total throughout the season. So it's like they've, they've actually, I, I, you can be encouraged about the talent they have there. I think they've got a couple guys who could end up being good, but we just don't know who it's going to be and who the lead guy is. The problem for Cam Friel, uh, yes, he won Mountain West freshman of the year. There legitimately was not another option to vote for in the mountain West because there was, I think there was only one other freshman that had over 300 rushing, receiving or passing yards in the mountain West this past year. And I don't think there was a single defensive player that had like a significant number of tackles or sacks or interceptions. That was a freshman either. So 
yes, he won freshman of the year, but it was a little bit more by default because he was the only freshman that was getting significant time uh, in the entire conference for the most part. I don't think by any means that I don't even know if he'd be in the lead at this point. Right. I mean, if you, if Doug Brumfield's healthy, I would say Doug Brumfield would be number one, but who knows? Like he has never been healthy. So it is, if Jaden Maeva is the highest ranked quarterback UNLV's ever had, he should probably win the job in all honesty, right? Like Cameron Friel and Doug Brumfield, neither one of them was good enough that the highest ranked quarterback recruit in UNLV history shouldn't win the job. However, the important thing to note here is the previous highest ranked quarterback ever was Armani Rogers and Armani Rogers didn't exactly have a great tenure as the UNLV quarterback. So if Jaden Maeva is Armani Rogers, then we've just got, you know, three quarterbacks that are all still probably below average Mountain West quarterbacks that Marcus Arroyo is choosing between. That could be the case. It's been the case at UNLV for a long time where they haven't had a standout QB to, you know, pilot the program for multiple years, you know, where you want some guy, you want a sense of stability there, and they haven't had that forever. Um, Mayava could be it. He might be the best bet out of those three guys just based on what we've seen so far. Friel, I think that based on what we saw last year, maybe not going in as a starter, but it's not going to be based on last year. It's going to be based on what they do in the spring, spring what they do ball. in training camp. Yeah, so it's like it, everybody gets a clean slate. He'll probably be like the number one and Brumfield number two and Maeva coming as number three, and then we'll see where it goes from there. No one's going to mention how exciting it is that they're bringing back their last year's second leading rusher. <laughs> Doug Brumfield, second most carries on the team last year with 19 did not sign a running back, <laughs> which is also interesting, right? And only and did not sign an offensive lineman, which was probably they, the they weakest did get one, point of the whole. They team. got one offensive. Oh, yeah, lineman. they did get one offensive. Excuse me, they got one offensive, but no lineman. running backs. Yeah, so it's don't need them. They got Brumfield. I'm fascinated to see what the offense is next year because they gave Charles Williams such a big workload that they didn't even attempt to give anybody else a chance to carry. The there ball. was there was no such position as yeah. backup running back on UNLV last year. Normally, you can plug anybody in that plays running back, but UNLV didn't even try last year.